0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and today I'm here with Andrew Rosenberg. I was about to say tonight, because uh, as (laughs) as of the recording time it is evening, but uh, I guess it depends on when people are listening. Um, Andrew is an LP investor in over 3,000 units. Uh, He's the host of the CRE Spotlight Podcast, and he's the co-host of a Simply Sundays um, Zoom Meetup, uh, or a commercial real estate Zoom Meetup. Um, Andrew, first, I I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for taking the time out. Thank you for getting this on your schedule and and, uh, coming to talk to me.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. We've been looking forward to meeting you and chatting with you, Jason.
0: Awesome. Why don't you start just by telling people about you? Tell us your background. Kind of, uh, I know uh, in your bio it talks about family business. Kind of, we'll, we'll kind of go through it. Um, being being an LP in three thousand units—that's that's a lot of units. So I just I love to kind of hear about your background and and okay. you know sort of what brought you to the real estate space. Oh,
1: okay, you know um, I was very lucky. Um, went off to college and got a great job in a um, in corporate finance. It was a leadership development program so you would get your mba while going you know while working and traveling all over the world working at different parts of a big company and um yeah remember this is like right at the peak of 2000 so of course um i was working at a tech company that no longer existed but not much longer so um didn't like corporate and said you know i really just want to go home so i want to end up coming back to hawaii and I was very lucky to be able to walk into a very successful family business. So it's a court reporting agency, and we we basically provide uh, services to litigation attorneys. So very nice, stable niche business. It's been very good to my family for fifty years. Um, and about a decade ago, you know I realized you, know, you just never know what the future would bring, and you should be investing for your family's future. and now, I've been investing in stocks for a long time. While I like them, you know, I don't like the aspect of it's not out of your control. So I started realizing, like, hey, let's do real estate. So we started doing real estate. And you know, it's funny how over time it just kind of builds up. And I didn't really um, scale the, the concept well. So we got up to too many homes in too many states. And I said, OK, this isn't working. It's is violating several principles. One was just you know, being happy. This isn't supposed to create a new job, so this isn't working for me. So we sold off, and uh, you know, timing was good. We sold off before prices kind of came down just recently, and um, basically reinvested much of those funds into syndications. I still like real estate. I love uh, depreciation quite a bit. I love rent, so I I just didn't want to be the one handling it. So you know, you that's basically the uh, the MO of, of you know, how I got started into kind of uh, being involved in so many syndication deals. Sure.
0: So the the start of this, when you, you sort of started investing in real estate, that was more on an active basis, right? That was, you were, you said, you know, kind of single family homes around the country. Yeah. I,
1: mean, it's, I don't want to ever sound like I'm playing semantics, but you know, there's just degrees of active and passive. There's no sure. such thing as passive. I mean, um, once you own enough properties, even with property managers, if you know, if you own twelve properties and, and only once a year they have a problem, that means every month you're having a bad phone call from a property manager. In theory, it's not fun anymore. Right. Um, no, I'm busy. Um, you know, I have a wife and son, and I have three crazy dogs, and you know, family business we're trying to run. So I forgo certain amounts of profit. I, I don't do fix and flips. You know, we don't do heavy value add on the single family side. Um, generally, you know, moved up the uh, class scale. So I don't know if your viewers are familiar, you know, like um, you might make a lot of money in, in class C property. You might not. You're probably going to have a lot of aggravation. You go to a class A property, You in theory, you should have a lot less trouble. You're going to make a lot less money. So, right. you know, as an investor, you kind of have to be honest with yourself Or what are my goals? What are my risk tolerances? what am I willing to put into all of this? So um, now we're more of a B plus A minus type of um, mindset in terms of my family background. So, you know, we'll we'll forego some of these big home run deals, you know, that's fine. We just kind of want to make a decent return. Uh, We don't go chasing, you know, the big, the big ones, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean the, some really great points there. We we do we've talked a, a number of times on the podcast just about kind of the knowing your investing investment thesis, right? What what are you really trying to get out of it? And I I, I kind of love that you started off that the the whole thing with I stopped, you know, I stopped doing these active single family investing because I wasn't happy with it. And I think it it's true, you know, there there's there's a lot of great things about real estate and there's a lot of different components that you can work within a lot of different asset classes, a lot of, um, you know, sort of niches within those asset classes even. And so the, so the good thing about that is there's a lot of opportunity, but maybe the bad side to that is it's hard to decide what is the right one for you. And then there are going to be some that probably don't fit with what you're trying to achieve. They may not fit with the lifestyle you're trying to achieve. They may not fit with, as you said, you know, sort of your risk tolerance, right? You, you're, the theory would be that as you move up in those, you know, sort of class, you know, from C class, B class, A class, that your returns might go down a little bit. But as you mentioned, the flip side of that should be a safer more reliable
1: yeah i mean in theory yeah you know, right you can clearly screw up any you know, you can screw, clearly right. screw up any investment if you don't do your your, your due diligence um you know like well, one of the things that i i always find that strikes me funny and it's usually with a newer investor um you know they'll find a city they like they'll find like the neighborhood they find let's say they, they like us you know four bedroom three bath you know they know their price they go in and buy it, and then they hire a property manager. And it's the funniest thing because the acquisition is a very small um, portion of of the lifestyle, of the the lifespan of the investment. And most people's success is gonna be heavily dependent upon the property manager. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unless they're doing, you know, they're managing it themselves, or this is a Flix or FIPS situation, but most people that are long-term holders, don't grasp the idea that all property managers aren't the same. You don't just take the top three and flip a coin and, you know, spin the bottle and and pick one. And you know what oftentimes you'll have is, and I met with an investor recently and he'd said, I bought a property and I can't find a property manager. I didn't mean to giggle, but I laughed a little. What's so funny. I said, well, you you screwed up the whole process. I, I, I don't need to know much of the story else. I already know you screwed up. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I go, is you, the whole order of the process you inverted? You should, The first thing you should be doing is working with the property manager because they're going to tell you, don't invest in this neighborhood. It doesn't rent well. It might look good on paper, but it's not really what happens. Yeah. Or you, know, you bought a fourth, you bought a five, two. You bought five bedrooms, two baths, but that's not what's really rentable in this market. People really want four threes. Or, you know, you, you don't have no backyard. Um, you say you want families, you know, you want to be near a school district, but you didn't pick a backyard. Like what were you thinking? And you went and bought the place already. Like it just, it's, it's just, it's just right. the whole order of the process is wrong. And Unless you're going to self-management, you know, manage it or like you knew the area. But if you're a remote investor, the first thing you really should be doing is interviewing property managers. And it's not just to pick the property manager, it's to to learn the area. Who knows the area better? You reading US News and World Reports and um, a couple of websites like neighborhoods.com or something, or you know, people who actually live in that area and are there, they're gonna be the ones that you know rent the building out. So they're gonna tell you flat out, like, this is a C class neighborhood, this is a B class neighborhood, you know, these are the rents you can get. Because what a what a realtor tells a, um, a remote investor. You know, and what really happens in reality are few and far between. You know, we often talk about like the degrees of what I consider um, valid data points. So, you know, like U.S. News and World Report, I I could care less. It's too broad. It's ridiculous. You know, things like CoStar and a lot of the software packages, okay, maybe. You know, a broker's opinion, a realtor's opinion, unless it's a really good one that one you trust, that's obviously a very special relationship. I'd say 95% of realtors just give horrible investment advice. They yeah. sell homes. They don't know anything about investing. And you always have to discount by 20, you know, 30%, whatever the rent they say you're going to get because it's not going to happen for the most part, unless you have a really good one. Right. So the people that are going to give you the honest answer, the people the boots in the ground, the property manager is going to be the one who's going to tell you, what are you thinking? That place is only going to rent for twelve hundred. You know, the realtor might have told you you know dollars but like that's not realistic. That's not what we can, you know, easily rent rent for you. And what a lot of investors forget is they're thinking, well, I just want to get the top dollar. Okay, well that's great, but while you're sitting around for three months, you're paying a mortgage. You know, while you're sitting around for three months, you're paying um, insurance. God forbid you buy a property in the dead of winter and sits for three months. You know, good luck, you don't have pipes break or you don't have squatters breaking into place. You know, these are all things that it, it's real estate's not complicated, but you can make it complicated by not respecting the process or doing things in the wrong process order.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, and all of that, all of that that you mentioned, you sort of used, um, I think, in, in relation to residential single family type investing but the same thing is 100% applicable if we're talking about uh large scale apartment syndications you still mm-hmm. you, you need to have especially that where you know you mentioned with with remote investing right if you're if you're not if it's not in your backyard your team needs to be the first thing you do not buy a property so the property manager finding investor uh in, investor knowledgeable real estate brokers, whether that's, you know, the realtors on the residential side or, or uh, commercial brokers, whatever it is you're trying to get into, you need to have those relationships, but, but still, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those broker projections are going to be definitely rosy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and so you've cool got to be yeah. able to do your own, your own research on, on the data.
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to tell you it's, Oh, it's a family friendly neighborhood. It's a lower B class. And then when, when a deal's going South, like, you know, on, a, on an apartment building, all of a sudden it's, it's a rough neighborhood and it's a C class building. Right. And it's just funny how, you know, it's funny how we went from a, a low B to a C class, you know, from the time of the acquisition to managing the property, you know, or, um a, you know, a nefarious one in know commercial real estate would be, you know, telling the investors, well, we had to fire the property manager, they weren't working out. That's all good, but you're the one who hired the property manager. So that excuse doesn't fly, shouldn't fly with an investor. In a syndication deal, if if you're familiar with like large apartment syndications, you know, and a lot of times you're collecting anywhere from one to 2% of an asset management fee and your job is to manage the property manager and to select the property. There's an acquisition fee. So due diligence is, you know, would, would also fall in. Mean, there's legal fees. There's there's reasons why people earn these fees, but you need to earn the fee. You can't later say, well, you know, the broker told us, we, you know, we could raise rents two hundred dollars, and we found out we really, you know, we really can't. We can only raise rents like twenty five dollars. That's not going to fly. You collected a one percent acquisition fee. You know, I, I invested. You know, we invested our money with you. That's not going to work. You know. The, Investors need to hold their sponsor teams accountable for what they're earning and, and what they're doing. Um, it's not to say you don't you shouldn't want to pay these fees because you want them to be motivated to work on the project. Because if you weren't if there weren't management fees, they they just go on to the next project, right? Right. right.
0: So yeah. I, I mean, I, you want to you want as you said, you want those fees to be earned. You want the them to be. Um, Representative of the performance, right? It's just it's a a performance-based industry.
1: It's just tough. There's a lot of dirty secrets within real estate, especially on the commercial side, that people are always aware of. So, like you know, one example is you'll find out later that the syndicator might own the construction company that did the value add. You know, so the one that's going to paint it and put in the kitchens and floors. Your pitch that well, it's good because we own you know we own the construction company, so we know. The work will be done right then you know then you start wondering hey wait a second um you know in that market we'll just make a number you know it should cost twelve thousand dollars a door to do bathrooms and kitchen let's just let's just make up a number and all of a sudden you find out it's like twenty thousand now you start wondering are they pocketing eight thousand on us do they even care if the deal does well or are they just making money off the construction you know on the, on the other hand you know so a lot of companies now are bringing property management in-house is they don't want to trust a third party which you know it depends you could have a really good property management team they care about their asset and they want to make money they want to have a good reputation with investors on the flip side you could have somebody who really is not doing ethical things they could be putting off tickets left and right and not repairing stuff because they want that noi number looking good because they want to flip the property soon they want to sell it and I don't know about you, but most, you know, most investors get a bad rap. Most investors do not want to be slumlords. Most investors aren't you know, happy to be associated with that kind of practice. Um, and these are things that do happen. I'm not saying they always happen by, by any means, but you know, the, the level of digging that an investor in real estate would have to do to properly do due diligence on a commercial real estate transaction, it's much higher than most people realize sure so it's it's not like just you know you found a guy on youtube you like how he talks you know write a check for 50 grand and you're good right i mean you might be you know but you're probably it's probably more lucky than good right
0: right right well and it's it's especially important now i mean we're just we just came through a market where it was hard to look bad because the market saved you so you have to especially look for people that are uh you know, really focused on performance at this point, give, given the way the market has shifted. So why don't, Andrew, maybe since you have invested as an LP, um, pretty substantially, why don't you talk about a little bit like what you look for, uh, when yeah. you're deciding who to um, invest with, which, which sponsors, you know, have to name names, I don't care if you do, but it's, oh,
1: no, 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 we it's we just,
0: uh, it's a um, more of a what, what qualities are you looking for them? What, what kind of things do you suggest other people that are considering investing in syndication, what they, what they should look for?
1: Yeah, it's going to sound like a cop-out as everyone says it, but it really is true. If you think about the, the venture capital model, it's not totally different from real estate. People are more familiar with it. it the very first thing is the team, the team, and the team. So you, you don't bet on the horse, you bet on the jockey. So you really want to make sure that the, the team you pick, the individuals are all solid people, intelligent, you know, honest, all these qualities but work together well, and you're looking for track record. So you're going to want to know how their previous deals went. You know, and this is an unpopular statement but you know, I'm not really one to mince words or you know, people like me, people hate me, it's fine. I am who I, you know, I am what you see. I always look at if if you're a first time syndicator or maybe even a second time syndicator with exceptions, but gen- generally speaking, go to your friends and family, get money, learn on their dollar. You're not learning on mine. Sure. You know, uh, well, there's exceptions to this, of course. I mean, like if you'd already, if you've done a lot of um, smaller deals on your own and now you're doing a larger, I mean, that's different. It's not like you're a first timer, but if it's a doctor, a dentist, and a software engineer in Seattle, and they're buying a place in Ohio, and they've never really done real estate, really, that's great. Maybe they'll succeed. You know, maybe the property manager is going to do everything right, and they don't need to be babysat. And maybe the broker really did give them the right rent comps, and maybe um, the rents are just going to rise up, and maybe the expenses are all going to stay nice. Just there's a lot of maybes on that. that. That's... That's probably not where, where a first-time investor wants to go. You need to move up the food chain. Um, and you're probably going to want to go with like a large boutique shop. Not quite institutional, right? Because the uh, minimums are going to be very high. No, like if you're going up the food chain, a lot of those are going to be like $250,000 minimums. Right. And it, let's say you had $250,000 to invest. I, I would argue that most people would be better off doing $550,000 investments Than one $250,000 investment. You know, and ideally it would be a mix of mostly multifamily, but, you know, maybe a little bit of storage and let's just say uh, industrial or, you know, some other asset class. And and ideally you wouldn't do five deals in Texas. You know, it's just not, not very bright. You you probably want to pick, um, you know, maybe a deal in South Carolina, a couple in Florida. I mean, like maybe one in Florida, maybe a couple in Texas and God forbid, it's, you know, something in the Midwest like Ohio or something. You know, just just naming states. These are not necessarily my favorite states. And you would go with larger, more established guys that you can say, you know, what were your last five to ten transactions? How did how did they go full cycle? What were the returns? And that'll give you a better sense of these are the people that are a little more systematized. They have a full fledged team. Um, you know, one thing you're not going to want to do is you're not going to want to invest with two people um there's too many hats most teams are going to have a capital raiser that's a person who's really good at raising funds from investors you're going to have a person who's the deal sourcer who's very good at either hustling off-market deals or good working with the broker does a lot of the due diligence work usually you're going to have an underwriter you know you have a person who's running all the numbers who's more financially savvy and you, you don't want somebody who's just plugging it into a software that That works great in a bull market. I I don't, you know, we'll see in the next few years the guys plugging things into spread, you know, into software packages. And then lastly, this is where a lot of teams fail because no one wants to do this job is, you know, asset management. No one really wants to be on the phone every single week, 52 weeks of the year with the property manager, you know, fine combing all the reports and making sure, you know, are we leasing up, you know, checking their, online you know ratings and are you are you popular on yelp do the residents like the new pool deck you know these these boring mundane tasks but where most deals fail when i talk to lps generally speaking it's one of two things either initial right away on the due diligence they screwed up which isn't that common usually it's in the property management usually the rents don't go up expenses are out of control um You know, the the turnover is just too high or evictions are higher than necessary. And a lot of it comes down to that relationship with with the property manager. So you're looking for a a robust and full team. You're not looking for drone video footages or fancy websites necessarily. you, You really want an established seasoned team with a track record. What's hard about it is there's a thing called 506B and 506C. And I know you're familiar with it, but you know, for maybe there'll be viewers that don't know. Yeah, no, 506B good to clarify. is um I can only go after friends and family. But I there's no limitations on their net worth or their income. So it's a it's a double-edged sword. I have a wider variety of, of people I can go after as investors, but I can't, I'm technically, I'm not supposed to advertise. And I'm talking about legally and you know, what really happens in the real world? Well, that's yeah, a different story. But by definition, that's what's supposed to happen. 506C, I can advertise. I can go right on LinkedIn and I can tell you, hey, I got a property three miles from my house, 44 units. I know the property manager, um, you know, 60-year-old guy ran it. He ran it terrible. You know, he was letting his friends stay there. You know, we're going to jack up the rents 300 a unit easy. Don't worry, we're going to make 30%, you know, uh internal rates of return that's okay if it's a five C, but there's a catch you have to now be an accredited investor so an accredited investor falls under one of two categories either you have to have a net worth of a million dollars and it can include your your primary residence your home or there's some income requirements and i want to say don't quote me, it's like 200,000 if you're Single and it's like three hundred thousand if you're filing as a married couple.
0: Yeah, that's so what it you know,
1: is. credit investors are going to be you know doctors and lawyers and you know chemists and software engineers, and a lot of times um, on the small business side, it's going to be um, you know net worth of over a million. It's going to be people who already own a good amount of real estate, so their net worth is you know in excess of a million. So th- that's that. Those are the two you know categories um, that you would have to understand if you're going to look into a invest in a syndication deal right
0: yeah and, and it's both, uh, most deals
1: are five six b to be honest
0: yeah it, it it definitely matters really it matters for both sides right it matters for the the sponsor who they can um bring into the deal as an investor and it, it matters as an lp you know which deals you can go into if you're if you're accredited you effectively can go in any deal um, but if you're you're not accredited now, you've you've got to go with with someone that you have it has to be a five hundred six b, and it has to be someone that you have a pre existing relationship with. So there's yeah, well, there's definitely some some caveats as yeah. far as being so able the
1: sec to creates kind of a problem because there's a lot of really good um, investment groups out there that don't want to get in trouble, right. so they they don't advertise. So now you're a new investor. You, how do you know to you know contact Mike Smith? Mike's rocking it. He does a great job. He's got a really good team. He's got good returns. You know, reports honestly to his investors. Takes care of them. But but you don't you don't know him. How how do you find him out? So this is where you know the research comes in. Where you're going to want to be on a platform like a LinkedIn, and you're going to want to meet other investors and ask them questions. And you know who do you invest with? And you know there's um, online meetup groups where um, they break into little breakout rooms and they'll have four people in a room and people kind of introduce and say, Hey, I'm this guy. And, you know, if, if somebody comes in and says, Hi, I'm, you know, a 48 year old um, dentist, I make a lot of money. Um, but I, I just I don't want to be managing properties anymore. And I really like storage. And I, I just want to start investing in storage. A guy like me will be on that call and say, Hey, have you met so and so or you know these people? And, you know, if not, not you know, would you like me to you know, send a DM and puts you and this person in the same DM and we'll introduce you. That's generally how you're going to get the better investments, to be honest, is through referrals. So like for me, some of my best investments were referrals. So the deal that I've that's probably the most, one of the more profitable deals. Specifically, I contacted a friend who's a much higher net worth than I, I not mean, much, much higher. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm having a little trouble, um, the last couple of deals I didn't really like, or I'm, I'm reviewing a lot of stuff, but I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. Do you have any recommendations? And he said right away, hey, I got a deal that'll fit what you like. Um, is it okay if I send a DM? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, send a DM. So he introduced me to um, a gentleman and I ended up investing with them, and it's it's doing very, very, very well. So that's what you learned is like the first investments I did, it was a good start and it got me on the right track. So it got me seeing, you know, distributions coming out on my phone and you know, seeing it in my bank account, that kind of thing. But I learned quickly, like, okay, it's time to go to the next level of investing. There's better sponsors out there. And the only way to, to find it is to really do the networking. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, the, best, it, it, the best thing is ask. I mean, really just ask, right. you know?
0: It's absolutely true. And and it, it, it again, it's, it's, it's true on both sides of that equation, right? It's as the as someone who wants to invest as a limited partner you should look for referrals you should sort of ask around see who the best sponsors are as a sponsor looking to raise capital you're going to ask your investors that um you know have uh have had a good uh experience and they're you know you're you work closely with them do they have anyone that they might know that that wants to invest so it's it kind of goes both in both directions and there's certainly um you know, benefits for both sides, really, in terms of, of you know, getting the opportunities out there. I think uh, it, it's a, it is a system built on, you know, really requiring networking, because really, because of some of those SEC uh, mm-hmm. regulations, it's just, you can't just always advertise it. So it's it's something that you do have to be um, careful with, and, and something you have to, you know, then therefore, try and meet as many people within the industry as you can
1: it's not like you know, like like a mutual fund. You can buy a magazine or go to a website, and they'll they'll show all the performance metrics and the fees, and, yeah. and everything's relatively standardized. And they're going to break them down into you know large cap, mid cap, small cap, value, growth, you know, international, you know, all these nice things. They they don't have that in syndication land. Right. That you you don't. There's no website you can go to that's going to say. These are the top 10 smartest guys in the business. You know, um, you, you're know, you going to have to figure it out on your own. No one's going to hold your hand too much. I mean, you, you'll figure it out. Um, you start realizing, like for me, there's um, two gentlemen that, you know, they've owned a lot, a lot of syndications, you know, more than I do. I'm usually going to them for advice. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I meet somebody, I like the deal. I might review it with them. Even if they don't know them, they'll, they'll take the time just like, well, did you think about this? What about that? Or well that sounds right. good and we'll, we'll go over the we'll sounding board it together those are the relationships that really drive better performance over the long run um, you know it's just it's just tough like a lot of viewers get kind of um, you know, they get sold on a dream you know retiring early and financial freedom and they, they, they watch this video and everything's great and they're going to make you know they're going to double their money and it's a sure thing and you know in two years and that's not really reality you know um the last you know several years you know we saw unbelievably you know historically inaccurate growths in rent and i think you, you could slap a coat of paint on it and sell an apartment building for more the next year right right but those right. those days are you know we're pretty sure those days are few and far between the best operators are still going to make money in any market there's always inefficiencies. There's going to be this off-market property that was badly managed and a really good operating team is going to come in and, you know, they're going to do simple stuff. Like they're going to change all the toilets and lower their water costs. And immediately the value of the place went up. You know They're going to swap out all the light bulbs and lower the, the electrical cost. You know, all the, um, you know, the um, faucets and, and they're going to aerate them. So they don't use as much water. You know, just simple things like they're going to fix the signage, rename the building to get rid of the bad um, reputation it might have, had. you know, resell a parking lot, you know, sim- simple things. But these are all things that, you know, create value to a property. I think one thing that a lot of investors can't grasp, and it's bizarre to me because it's a very simple concept. You don't value a single family home the way you value an apartment building mathematically. Hmm. If you're looking at homes, it's largely comps. You can do all kinds of stuff. What are you really going to do to really raise the, the net operating income of it? You know, it's a home. It's going to be valued on a comp. Apartment buildings are not really valued on comps. They're, they're, they're valued on net operating income. So you have a building that has a storage issue, let's just say, um, and you put in storage lockers and now you're going to charge residents for the use of the lockers. You just increase the value of, of an apartment building. You're not really going to put in storage on a single-family house, and how much more rent are you really going to get? And when you go, when it comes time to sell the place, okay, it's nice. There's, you added a little storage room, but they're just going to say, "Well, the house down the street—that's the comp." Right. It's a subtle difference, but it's one that most investors don't grasp.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the valuation of a of a residential home sale is just entirely based on comps right there's because it's not yeah. income producing it you know maybe if it's been used as a rental or maybe when you're talking about like short-term rental type properties that type of it's you could you could argue that that is going to be based somewhat on the income and then and then your your commercial your larger commercial assets are going to be valued based on that NOI or the or the you know the performance of the property I would, this is something that I think is interesting because I think the, the point that you're making is is true and valid, but there is one little caveat to, I think, that throws a, a little wrench in that theory. I've heard other people say the same thing. Cap rates. Okay. So oh, yeah. uh, cap rates are the comps realistically right a, if you're in a, in you're, a
1: sense in yeah. a
0: way i i know it's not exactly the same thing but if you're looking at okay what are the cap rates in this market it's gonna for this particular asset, you know this the, particular the cap, class the
1: cap rate you're right is the sense of what you can't control i guess if you're going to call it a comp but i mean you have control over the noi right on a commercial property versus you know you take away you know short terms or airbnbs but like that's that's the difference on on a single family home. It's entirely comp based. It's, there's not really an NOI. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's Is no
0: it, opportunity. You know, I guess if you flip a house or something like that, you're increasing the the value based on what, you, but it's still based on the comps. It's still yeah. It's oh, based I'm on... turning this house that had, you know, it was trashed. Now I'm putting in nice cabinets and countertops. So that... Yeah, I added I added a room.
1: I added I furnished the basement or I added a room right. or. Right. You know, we, we read the roof, but you control the NOI right. to some, you know, so with some extent, that's what you're, you you can control. So even if the cap rate went unfavorable to you, there's a, you know, you can do the math on it, but like, if you raise enough, if you're doing everything right and you're raising rents, and you're lowering expenses mm-hmm. historically, you're going to do it well, even if the cap rate went against you, because the NOI is really what drives that, 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 that property, especially the, the bigger units, like they're yeah. you know, just saving $25 a month in, in electric on, on a building. If you have 400 units, all of a sudden that's a lot, a lot of money. Right. You know, it's just tough to, you can't scale that like on a house. It's, it's just a lot harder. Like, yeah. you know, me putting in energy efficient appliances in a home, I, I'm not going to get a big return on it. I swap out all the ovens in a 400 unit apartment building for lower electric using um, ovens. You know, obviously, I'm going to get a bigger savings. You know what I mean? Right. The other thing that investors have a real hard time grasping, it's just bizarre to me, but the debt are totally different animals. Mm-hmm. You know, single family right. home. I love single family homes debt. 30-year fixed is like the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> other than indoor plumbing yeah. or maybe sliced bread, it's I mean, it's like the third greatest thing in the world. I mean, you're going to tell me that my, you know, If I told you there was this company and their largest expense was going to be fixed for the next 30 years, but inflation was going to happen and the revenues were probably going to go up, you'd, you'd be banging down my door, blowing up my voicemail, trying to you know, buy that stock. Yeah. That's single family homes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a bizarre thing why people are more excited. I, I have a hard time. Some, you'll get it, but some people won't. That's fine. I often tell people the asset is the loan. And the house is the liability, and they look at me like I'm insane. And I said, "But you're not grasping it. Like a 30-year fixed-rate loan, if you got it two years ago at let's just say three mm-hmm. percent in a nine percent inflationary world or eight percent, you know whatever CPI is now, you're making hand over fist just off the debt. The debt became your asset, whereas the home, which one are you going to have variable expenses? You know, the home you're going to fix the um, the boiler." You might have to repair the roof. Um, the, the you know the tenants gonna when they they move out you're gonna have to repaint the the walls and maybe you know touch up the floors. That's actually the liability. What's the liability? The municipality they might raise your your property taxes, right? They, the insurance company you never know they could just raise your uh, insurance bill a whole bunch because they're gonna say global warming or climate change. That 30 year mortgage never changes. It's a fixed amount. Right. And if it at, at the right rate, not today's rate, but, you know, two years ago, a year ago, that was the asset. Whereas in single family, you're not seeing there's not, you're not going to see 30 year loans on an apartment building. Right. You know, and yeah. most investors don't understand, like, what really drives real estate? It's taxes and debt. Mm-hmm. You know, we're playing a shell game. Here. Let's just let's just call it what it is. I mean, it's the most tax favorite asset. And it's the best asset for leverage. You know, you can borrow money against stocks. They're not going to give you much a loan to value ratio and it's they're very volatile. They're all over the place. Real estate it's, it's like a cruise ship. It it doesn't really zigzag like a you know like a little jet ski would, you know, for the stock market. Banks like multifamily. When you talk to lenders, their favorite asset class is multifamily. They can get rid of you if you know Jason, you're running a building, you're not doing a good job and you're in violation of your loan covenants. They can kick you out they can get somebody to run it better you know right. versus you know if your cloud was, um you know bitcoin or, or some lousy tech stock there's not much the bank can do it's the, the collateral is the collateral right yeah you know so what most investors aren't getting is they'll watch a pitch deck and a, it's just really it gets me angry i'll be honest with you they'll watch like Slide after slide about the city and the beautiful photos and the ARRs and IRRs and equity multiples and just a bunch of nonsense, frankly. And then maybe they'll tell you about the debt or maybe they'll just skip it entirely. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on here. Like, one of the biggest drivers of of success is going to be that debt. You know, what is the loan to value ratio? What is the loan to cost? You know, is it a three-year loan is it a five-year loan is it a ten year loan is it agency what is the interest rate you know I mean like you as an investor you're gonna want to know you wouldn't you wouldn't go buy a single family house and just tell your wife oh, we'll figure out the interest rate later right you know or right. well, honey you know what was great everyone who went broke during the Gfc had variable rate loans let's do that again <laughs> right you wouldn't exactly no. go sign up a home that you're planning on owning for decades and say you know what let's just Run with the wind. We'll just let it be variable. Yeah. So, why would you do that in single-family homes? You wouldn't. So, in an apartment building, it's if you want to say, "Hey, um, I'm such an economic genius. I know what Jerome Powell is going to do, and I want to play a game that I think interest rates are going down." That's lovely if you want to do that. Frankly, I think that's stupid. Is if you really want to make money off interest rates, go buy the derivative. You know, you can buy a futures contract, buy an options contract go play the interest rate game. If we're playing the real estate game, I got lots of risks I got to deal with. You know, I got to deal with possible fraud from a property manager. I got to deal with, is a new mayor going to come in and tax me a bunch? Are my tenants going to just skip out? Is there going to be a recession? I got lots of risks. I I don't need interest rate risk. So one of the questions an investor should be asking in a syndication deal is, did you buy a rate cap? Is it a fixed rate? what are the terms what's the amortization you know like once you watch enough deals you're going to learn what's generally the standard and is it three years interest only so we got like three years to get our acting gear and then all of a sudden the the payments get a little bigger you know if you're buying a a rate cap what's the rate cap you know how is that going to affect um the profitability because if you say the the debt's let's just say the debt's five percent and you're projecting know, all these lovely returns. And I ask, okay, but what's the rate cap? Well, rate cap six. Well, what happens if interest rates go up and we're at the rate cap amount, what are my returns now? A lot of investors are left to their own devices to figure out what the return would then be. You know, a, a, the thing that you should be asking for is a sensitivity analysis. And they can take it, it's very easy for a syndicator to do, they have the software, the Excel spreadsheet they can tell you, these are, this is what we projected, but this is what the return would be, you know, if we only raise rents by this percent instead, this is what the return would be. If occupancy is, if we're wrong on occupancy and it's gonna be more people are, more units are vacant, this is what the return would be. So you can start seeing your downside. You can also see upside. So, you know, you could say, hey, um, the one thing we can't control is cap rate, like you're saying, you know, and you're saying, hey, um, conservatively we think it's going to sell five years from now at a five cap what happens if it's at a six cap we're we're going to make less money i want to know how much less money i'm making right let's and then on the flip side like maybe we get really lucky and there's this great bull market five years from now and cap rates are going to be four well i'd like to see that too so you'd like to you'd like to see that sensitively in between you you know, some people do a 50 basis points or like you know 25 basis point, some range. So you can see like best case scenario, what we think is going to happen. You know, the the you know a bad case scenario. That, you know, this is what it means. Some people like me are going to want to say, just what's my break even? How how many units need to be economically occupied for us to break even? You know, like at, at what cap rate in the future do I at least make a minimal return? Is it six and a half? Is it seven? You know, these, these kind of questions. These are the intelligent questions that investors should be asking of a syndicator. And if they can't answer these questions, this is kind of your big litmus test for it's time to run. The other yeah. one is don't be obnoxious. Don't ask like you know a half hours worth of questions or like you, there's one guy who had like your, the ninety nine questions to ask a syndicator. You don't ask all ninety nine. frankly, that's that's crass and annoying. Right. But let's say you have five questions. If the guy's annoyed with you or the lady's annoyed with you for asking five questions, don't want to invest with them. Right. It's not a good relationship. They they view you as a back to step on. It. They only see you as capital. They're not interested in as you, you know, Jason, the investor. Yeah. So that, that's one of the criteria I'm going to have is, you know, this is a long-term relationship. I mean, you're looking at anywhere from three to seven years. You know, five years is just kind of the, quoted standard that's a long time i mean how many people date somebody less than five years and, and it's you know you're scarred for life you know cindy was just the girlfriend from hell and you, you just wish you had those two years back or you know pete was the, you know the, the worst boyfriend ever and you just god what was i thinking i was with him for 18 months well you could be with a syndicator for five to seven years and if you're calling them up saying hey um it's been four months like you said we we're going to get quarterly reports where's the report and you're not getting it you're not going to be really happy you know if, if you, you're going to find out hey um we had a a problem with evictions and that's why there's no distributions this month you know you went into your bank account and you're like hey uh you know i was expecting my 250 in my account this month and you got to call them up and then they're telling you oh well there's these problems that's not the kind of relationship you want you want the guys that are immediately going to Call their clients and say, "Hey, we're having a problem. This is what it is. This is what we're doing to fix it." That's going to create a, a level of trust. And so, different syndicators are going to have different reputations within the industry. So, if you if you called me, Jason, and you know off off camera and said, "These are my criteria, and this is my comfort zone. This is how I'd want to invest," I would say, "Okay, I'm going to give you these like three names to invest in." Sure. I'm not going to put a you know a person like you with someone I don't trust that they're not going to release full financials on a quarterly basis. That wouldn't call you right away when there's a problem. There's going to be problems. I don't care what syndicator it is, uh, particularly multifamily. There's going to be problems. People are weird. You know, there, there's weather. There's governments do just goofy stuff. I mean, you know, someone crashes into your apartment building. What well, you know? <laughs> What are you going to do? I mean, weird stuff happens. Um, that's, that's really the key that I'm trying to get at. It's like, it's a long commitment. It's not just the money. There's, you're going to be very unhappy if you pick the wrong syndication syndicator.
0: Yeah. It's a long, I mean, that's one of the, I think it's one of the good and one, and at the same time, maybe some, one of the, the negatives about syndication that people don't like is the illiquid nature of it. And so it's, 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 Ill, it, it's bad because if if it's not going well, then you know you, you want to get out. But but the it for all the reasons that you just stated, not necessarily because there's a bad thing that happens. Because as you said, there's always going to be a bad thing that happens. Yeah, investors so can be
1: problems. Investors can deal with problems. It's it's the the number one thing that's going to piss investors off is is communication or trust issues. Um, You know, a a good example, and I won't get into specifics, but a good example that I know some investors, there's different two deals I can think of where it arguably wasn't communicated well, that there was going to be equity raises and stages. So some of the people that got in at the first stage, they thought that was the capital raise. Mm -hmm. And the syndicator thought they communicated there was going to be a further capital raise for construction. So the investors are like, wait, I'm on LinkedIn, and I keep seeing these capital raises. Like, we already closed. What's going on? And then they're told, well, there's also a construction phase now. And you know that, that, that miscommunication issue right. creates a wedge between the investor and the syndicator, where even if the deal does well five years from now, everyone makes money, there's a really high chance that um, – those investors will not be reinvesting with that person so like okay. there's there's two deals i know of. one i'm in one you know i'm not in but you know vis-a-vis when i talk to other investors all across the board all they were saying i think i'm going to make money in five years that's great and all but i'm not recommending any of my friends to any any deals this person's doing and yeah. investors hold grudges i'm going to be honest with you. you know we try not to be petty and you know i'm not gonna i don't blast anybody on i'm not going to do it on a podcast but you know, we're not going to recommend somebody. It's my reputation. I'm not going to tell you, Jason, here's five guys to work with. And, and if I know two of them are, hey, they're not going to do such a good job. I, I don't want you calling me in six months and going, Andy, why, why did you recommend, what did you do? Why did you recommend this to me? These guys suck. I don't I don't want that, you know, on my on my plate. Yeah,
0: well, you want, basically you want someone who is going to do what they say they're going to do and have honesty and transparency. I mean, at the, at the
1: most basic think level, that those that's are looking... simple. Or you would think <laughs> right. that that's common, <laughs> right. it's, you, it's Yeah, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Everybody's, I, everybody's forthcoming in, in your friend in a bull market. Yep. You know, the next, we'll see the next two to three years, we'll, we'll see people's true character, you know, come through, you know, who, who are really good people and, you know, who, who are going to step up to the plate, you know, we'll, we'll see, right. um, there's definitely people that, you know, within my you know, network of people that I know and like and trust that if you said, hey, I want to do um, RV parks, uh, the vacation RV parks, you know, there, there's a group that I, I work with that I have full faith in them. I You know, I would tell my, my own family members or, or closest friends, hey, it's okay, go invest with these guys, you know, or, you know, industrial or storage and you know, di- different types of deals. The hardest part is people get this thing called shiny object syndrome, too. They're looking for like the hottest new, you know, fad or craze, and they don't really understand what they're they're getting into. Most people want to see quarterly or monthly things in their their bank account. It's yeah. going to give them some pause to think. Okay, you know, it's not a lot of money, but it's like an indication things are going well, and you know, things. Whereas other investors, a lot of the more sophisticated investors or like a higher net worth investor, they don't really care because like getting five hundred dollars into their bank account, it's not gonna, and it's not gonna move the needle. The guy's worth like thirty million dollars, so they're going to be doing a different type of deal than than you're doing, or you know, I, you know frankly, I'm doing. I'm not a thirty million dollar kind of guy. They're going to be wanting to do development deals. They're going to want to buy the land, prep the land, get all the legal done, all all the documents with the court. They're gonna get the infrastructure, build it up, you know, rent it, get it rented, and then sell it. And this could take many, many years, but the payoff at the end can be quite large. Right. You know, very, very large, you know, oversized returns. But you could go five, 10 years without any returns. You know, you might not see a dime of cash flow. For the average investor, that's just not gonna work. And let's be honest, everybody talks a big game about you know, being a you know tough, and they they're gonna hold, and they you know, but they're not really. Most people are gonna to want to see, you know, some cash flow coming in. So you need to be honest with yourself when you're investing. the, a lot of people I know that have been unhappy, some of it is their fault. You know, they they invested in something, and they they didn't really align it to what their goals were. So if you're 65 and you invest in a deal in um, Houston. And it's a high value add deal that's never going to cash flow really. Um, you know, you're you're gutting everything. You know, you're doing landscaping, you're changing out the parking structure, new signage and windows. And I mean, you're you're doing the rough, you're doing the works. Right. That's probably not the best deal for a 65-year-old retired person that's going, oh, okay, I'm four years in, I've never seen a dime. They probably should have been in a storage deal. Nice, boring you know, cash flowed from day one. And some of time you can get a monthly distribution, some a quarterly, but if you're a 20 year old, you know, let's say you're 24 year old and you're making a lot of money and you got lots of time on your hand, that storage still doesn't move the needle. It's never gonna triple in price. It's not, you're never gonna get a big home run out of it. And, you know, for the 20, you know, 24 year old um, chemists, you know, maybe that's not a good choice, but that's what all his, that's what all his friends told him to buy, right? so there's a level of education beyond just due diligence of others there's almost a, a level of due diligence of your of yourself there's yeah. so many deals out there you, you can yeah. find what suits you
0: there's yeah um, there'll be something that fits your
1: you, yeah you You're don't right. go chasing the first you know just because your buddy made 20% irrs you know with the syndicator doesn't mean you, you should invest with them it might not be a good fit for you that that's kind of where i'm going with that's a, a short version
0: yeah, it's I mean, absolutely true. It's that the, you have to know what your own investing thesis is, what you're trying to get out of it, what you're, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, some some people really care about the cash flow. Some people just want, you know, kind of the, the big return at the end of the day. Some people just want the tax benefits. I mean, it's really there's definitely different uh focuses for different investors so you have to know what that is for you i mean that ultimately at the end of the day if if you're investing in in um well any asset class real estate or otherwise you really have to know what your what your goals are what you want to get out of it what your risk tolerance is you know kind of kind of all of that has to go together
1: we do one little bit is it's it's kind of like a it's 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 a dirty little secret about commercial real estate but it's not really dirty it's just something that it can be made dirty by people not being forthright. Is that okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. There's a thing called an equity backfill. So what really happens in the real world, and it happens a lot and it depends on who you are. There's guys that are super ethical and forthright about it, and everything's kosher. And then there's guys that spin. I, I spin pisses me off. Spin is I'm not working with you ever again. I'm not recommending any of my friends to you and spin doesn't mean that it it wasn't economically viable, or legal, or even ethical. Spin just doesn't work for me. So let's just say, Jason, you're a new syndicator. You buy a forty-four unit building. Let's just say in um, in Los Angeles, you found a great deal, and um, let's just say it's a ten million dollar building. So the bank's willing to give you um, sixty-six million dollars. You know they're only willing to go to sixty percent LTV. You're a newer syndicator. It's forty units. They're scared, right? You know. Sure. The economy's not going so good. Still a good deal. So you're going to raise $4 million. Let's say um, you've got a million of your own money. You're, you're a wealthy guy, Jason. You look like a pretty wealthy guy. So now you got $3 million more to go, right? Let's say you've raised $2 million, but you're coming close to the wire. You're missing a million. What are you going to do? you got a $50,000 earnest money deposit with the bank. You're going to lose this money if you don't close the deal but you're a million dollars short. you got like two weeks to go and you did good. You raised 2 million, you brought in a million euro, but dang it, you're a you're million dollars short. Now you're also worried about all your investors are going to be pissed off because you know, I gave you money three months ago. I passed up some other you know, opportunities. You know, you giving me my 50 grand back, is let's say it was a 50 grand minimum. I, I, invent, I, I wired over the 50 grand to um, you know, Lark Capital. I'm not going to be in a good mood, Jason. You know, we're going to have some words, me and you, if three months later, six months later, God forbid, nine months later, you're calling me up and saying, hey, we've been negotiating, the deal's not going through I'm mad now with you, Jason. We're not investing. We're probably not going to be investing again. It's probably going to be bad-mouthing. So you're now really motivated. You got a million dollars. You're short. You, you got to raise this money. What are you going to do? So you're going to go to Ethan Gow. He's a gap loan lender. And he's basically going to tell you, Hey, I'm going to stick it to you and you're going to have to take it. So you're going to say, Hey, I need you to write me a check for a million dollars. I need to close the deal. He's going to charge you 18% interest, 20% interest. I I don't know. It's going to be a lot. And he's going to charge you a whole bunch of fees. You're going to say, okay, I, I got to do it. It comes out of my pocket. It comes out of your pocket, Jason. I'm sorry, not my pocket. So you're taking care of your investors. You're closing the deal. You're the only one suffering from paying some fees and, you know, a lot of interest. Your job now is to raise that million dollars deals closed. You know, you've taken over the project. It's been de-risked. You go to me again and say, Hey Andy, um, I want you to invest. The deal's closed. Now I don't have to worry about the deal, not closing and you returning my money. The deal's closed a month into it. Hey Andy, um, we still have open spaces. We want to sell you the equity. We're already raising rents. Um, you know, turnover went well. We didn't find any, you know, hidden things. You know, once we acquired the property, we didn't find out the boiler suddenly died. Everything looks good. You're coming in de-risk. You're happy. I'm happy. The lender's happy. I come in lo- less risk on the deal. You're happy. You're getting the equity, you know, to, to do your backfill. Lender's happy, you know, you're paying them back off. Ideally, two to four months, you raised all the equity, that million-dollar equity. All your you know, the, the initial investors, the deal closed, deal's going good, they're happy. You got you know, to save your reputation. You didn't lose the $50,000 earnest money deposit. Property's going great. The grand scheme of things, you know, it was only two months. It wasn't like you paid the whole years of interest. The fees and you know, the grand scheme isn't that big a deal. You're making money. That's that's something they don't tell you about. So what, what'll happen is a guy like Pete comes to Andy and says, Hey Andy, do you wanna come in on a deal? Um, we reserve some shares for VIPs. No, you didn't. You're backfilling equity, bro. Don't tell me you I'm a yeah. VIP. You know, go go after yourself. Let's you know, try to keep it PG13, but I you know, <laughs> you're lying. You're not telling me the truth. Yeah. Um you know, we're doing you a favor. We uh we're, we're going to take it out of our own, you know, pocket. Um we're just you're know, letting you in because we like you. I, I like you, Jason. You're a good guy. No, save the mafia pitch for someone who's who's not stupid. I know what you're doing. Some people will lend money themselves. Like Jason Corporation will lend Lark Capital money at interest. And then they're paying themselves back through that equity backfill. So just call it what it is. There's nothing dirty or nefarious about it. It's a common accepted practice in the industry. It happens all the time. There's nothing bad about it. I, I frankly don't mind the call. Call me up two months into a deal. I love it. I mean, I'm all for it. Like I already know what how the deal's going. I don't worry about months going by and then maybe the deal doesn't go through and you're wasting my time. It's not a problem. But just tell it, call it what it is. Yeah. That that's that's the problem. So, this is just one example but there's many within the industry you really gotta know what you're doing because if you don't you're gonna get taken advantage of there's a lot of spin doctors out there um and, and you know the other hand you know there's a gentleman i know he lives in massachusetts i hope he's watching the video he'll not referencing without saying his name when i told him this he was just appalled he was like are you serious people do that he couldn't even comprehend it because he was on a deal, the exact scenario that I'm playing out to you basically happened. And I was on a call with him with about 30 other investors and he just flat out laid it out for the truth. Tell him, great property, everything's going well. We, you know, we had a little bit of a shortfall. It wasn't that, much. I think his shortfall was like hundreds of thousands, not like a million. Right. Basically we borrowed money from somebody to close. We just want to pay the, get them out of our life, pay them back. And do you want to come in and bring equity? and he just told the truth god forbid just told the truth he had no problem raising the equity it was a really good deal it was um in ohio close to where they're building a new intel semiconductor plant the property's going to do well it's going to make money they're doing well it's it's a well-managed property so you're coming in on a going concern that's doing well all you had to do was tell the truth and he did but there's guys that won't tell you the truth trust me yeah um
0: yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's honesty and transparency, right? Right, yeah. so right from yeah, the start, right, is with, like, right through the whole thing.
1: Yeah. When you get a pitch deck, a pitch deck is basically just a glorified word for a PowerPoint presentation. If you're a newer investor, what you really should be doing is you hopefully you've already made a friend or a coach or a mentor, at least a friend and, or a couple friends. And you would say, Hey, I'm kind of new. I want to invest in this deal. Hey Johnny, um, Cindy, and, and uh, you know Pat, can you just take a look at it? So a friend of ours recently did this, and I sent it to three guys that I really respect. You know their level of analysis. Three of them, two of them were operators, one's a serial investor like myself. I said, let's just do this guy a favor. He's a good dude. They all looked at it. They got back to me before I even had a chance to look, at it and said, no, 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 no. And I said, oh, geez, what? And I said, well, I should probably go look at it. And I knew right away what it was. The syndicator didn't list anywhere in the slides the fees. We had no idea. We, we can't figure it out. And it's, it's unheard of. I mean, you, I, I've mean, I i looked through enough pitch decks. I and mean, trust me, the fees are usually in the pitch deck. For it not to be right. in the pitch deck, you're like, what the heck is going on? And again, the debt wasn't in the pitch deck. So I mean, it's like, to me, it's like, you're, you're just so done. I told my, the, the friend, I said, look, the four of us are all just like, what on earth? No way in heck do not do this deal. Like, yeah. you know, there's deals that we might say, eh, it looks all right. You know, if it's your friend or you feel strong about it, go ahead. Or, eh. but this was like a, no, absolutely not run for the hills. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not saying they're, they're either crooks or they're highly incompetent. It's one of the two. There's no way you should have a pitch deck for an apartment building deal and you're not telling the investor what the debt is, I mean, that's just unexcusable. And then to not tell them what the acquisition fee or disposition fee or the asset management fees are, it's just completely inexcusable. But a newer investor might not know that. You could get lured in with drone photos and videos and you know, fancy names and they're showing you before and after what they think it's gonna be. And they're gonna tell you 25% internal rates of return. and you're going to make two and a half times your money in five years and you sign me up, take my money. That's unfortunately what happens to a lot of new investors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you do really have to be careful. I, th- I think it's, it's a, it's a great investment vehicle and a very, um, you know, should be generally safe and reliable, probably realistically more so than, than a lot of other asset classes, but still you do need to do your homework and, and need to know kind of, kind of what you're getting into um well let me let me switch gears here please Um, please i want to kind of get to the part where we get to ask you questions the questions that i ask each guest um first one is is related to the name of the show being know your why so andy what's what what is your why what what sort of drives you in life what what kind of what's your your uh motivator behind your success
1: oh okay i mean for me it's, it's all about family but it's from a generational perspective so my um my great grandfather owned a liquor store in um, Minnesota was a liquor distributor. Then my mom's, you know, my mom's father owned an army surplus store. You know, my father owned a court reported store. So it's it's generations of entrepreneurs. You know, I work with my father now. He's a workaholic. He'll be eighty-four in January and he still works more hours than most people. That's it drives me nuts sometimes. We we're just screaming at each other this morning when we go to lunch. <laughs> We can fight and still go to lunch. Yeah. Drives me nuts, but he's a very sharp man. He he he's forgotten more at 84 than most people know, let's just say. Sure. I Much believe, of the money that I'm investing, not all of it, but a good portion of it is legacy money, you know, from my, you know, my predecessors. I take it very seriously. That that kind of money, there's a lot of responsibility to that. I've never actually touched any of that money myself, to be honest. That's all for my son, and I always tell my son that's not for you. That's, you know, for your kids or that's for future generations. Yeah. Being a steward of of family wealth is a very you know important thing. So for everything I'm doing is like, I look at a BMW and I think I'm not buying that. I I'd rather do one more syndication deal. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at that going. Yeah, no, I can buy a. a I'll, I'll go in with a, a really good industrial guy who's going to buy a fifty thousand square foot warehouse and. You know Kansas City, the cash flows right away, and I'm going to collect, you know, five years of distributions, and we're going to make money at the end, and, and I'm going to get tax benefits. Like sign me up every day twice on Sunday. That that's how that's how my life runs. I mean, you'll see. Um, you know, it's it's a polo shirt. That you probably I probably bought it at Sam's Club or Costco. You know, I drive a Honda. That that's not my why is going to be my family.
0: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I'm totally there with you, and I think the, I, I think one of the maybe the most powerful thing in any type of investing real estate, especially, but is time. And if you're talking about generational wealth across yourself, your son, your son's children, like that, that's, now you're talking about that time being so powerful and it's like, yeah, you tell your son, you're you're not going to touch this. But the, the, the fact is, is as that grows with all that time is like, if it's, treated right everybody can like the 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 base money can stay yeah. right there and you're yeah. just kind of get to the point where you, you really i can live off that cash flow so yeah I, I think um that's that's maybe one of the things that excites me the most is talking to young people and and, and guiding them towards investing but also like thinking about my kids and when i you know what what I can do to teach them about this early in their life that they can really, they'll be, it'll set them up there. You know, I, I I didn't really get into it seriously until I was in my forties and I just feel like I'm playing catch up. So my um, you know, my kids, the biggest thing I can do for them is just teach them. I don't know. It's not even that it's not leaving them money. It's teaching them how this works.
1: When they're in their twenties, house hacking is just an incredible concept.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's so, there's so many things guys that like that us, really... you know,
1: we're in our forties. The idea of house hacking is just not appealing, you know, with a wife and fi- right. wife and family, but when you're in your twenties and singles, house hacking is awesome. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, yeah, so many ways for them to, to kind of, um, you know, just manipulate their finances in a way to, to get themselves ahead and, and, and live, um, live well within your means and don't, you know, don't get caught up in all that silliness. Um, Second question for you. What is something about you that people, uh, it may not be common knowledge, uh, special skill, a hobby, just um, something that that you're comfortable sharing that lets people get to know you a little bit better?
1: Um, It's a really tough question. I'm not a, the most interesting person. I'll be honest with you. I wake up early and I work in real estate. Um, then I go to work early. And I'm there into the evening and A lot of times work is still calling me in the evening and I'm pretty much either watching YouTube, catching up on LinkedIn, even nighttime meetings. Um, That's my life. Like this is all I do. Like this is a very serious time commitment. Um, You know, it's a, you, you know, I tease myself because I'm supposed to be creating financial freedom and all this, but I basically created a job for myself as a portfolio manager. Yeah. So, you know, I have so many investments that, I mean, my God, tax time comes around. And I'm ready to strangle myself. It's it's not fun. There's so many investments to go through. You know, so many K ones or so many things to report to a CPA. But I like it. That's what I've been doing. You know, for most of my life, I've been investing since I was young. This is what I enjoy. So this is what I'm doing. Like, I don't watch um, football games. I don't watch network TV. Like, I could talk to you three hours on the phone. And we could talk about, you know, yield curve inversions and I would love it, you know, that that's my whole you know life. Like, you know, we could talk about household survey versus um, establishment survey for BLS data. And, you know, you and I could talk for an hour and I'd have a good time, it, as horrible as that sounds. That what you see is really what you get. I really am just that boring and driven. It's, yeah, but
0: you know, you say, you say boring. I think if that's your passion, Right, like if you're, if you're, well, for me, it's
1: I, I find it fascinating, but I mean, exactly, the outside right. world, yeah, I mean, my wife thinks I must be the most boring man on earth. you know?
0: Your, your passion, if if your work is your passion, like, are you really working? That work, you know, that's kind yes, of yes, exactly. Then yeah. You get it. If, if you like you what
1: you're doing, it's a, it's an avocation. It's no longer work. Right. You know, work is doing what you hate because you have to, and because you have rent to pay or something. I mean. I'm not, you know, I'm 47 and I, I've had a lot of significant, you know, advantages and privileges in life. But, you know, one of my goals is to always make sure my son, you know, future generations, they're doing what they love doing. And they're, you know, they're, it's profitable, yes, but it's you know, improving the society. So when you're doing a value add, one, this is a tangent, but I, I hate when somebody says value add and they're saying, well, I'm going to jack up the rents because the old owner didn't know what the market was. That, that's not a value add. You're exploiting a market inefficiency. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just, that's what it is. This is called what it is. You're exploiting a market inefficiency. That's fine. A value add is when tenants come up to the property manager's office and say, thank you. Thank you for resurfacing the pool deck so my kids don't trip and hurt themselves. Thank you for fixing all the equipment in the gym. I can actually go and get a workout now and not be on a, you know, bicycle that's d- 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 doing this, right. you know, thank you for putting up security cameras. I don't think I'm going to get robbed as much. Like investors in real estate, you're, it really is truly, you are doing a real, a real service. We're not just flipping apartment buildings, and you know, a slap a coat of paint on and, you know, make our money and run. Most syndicators really do care about the community and the tenants that they work in. It's great to make money, but it, it works both ways. You can make money. And better the world. I mean, if if the buildings were left to their own devices, you know, they 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 fall apart. You know, the elevator needs to be fixed. Those carpets got to get replaced at some point. You know.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. To- totally agree. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way?
1: Uh, best thing to do is get me on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. You know, I'm on all the major platforms, but, you know, I don't really enjoy Facebook and Instagram so much, but, you know, I do it. You know, I do a little bit of Twitter, but it's not real. It's more of an afterthought. LinkedIn's really where I am. And particularly within um, the syndication world, if that's what you're interested in, that's where most of the players really are. They're, they're going to be on LinkedIn because they're looking for white-collar professionals, business owners, people with a, a certain level of, of income and net worth, that are going to be able to invest, you know, fifty thousand dollars into a syndication deal. Most deals, the the minimum going to be fifty thousand. Some deals it could be seventy five. There's some that are going to be hundred. It might go to two fifty. But generally speaking, most bread and butter deals are going to be about fifty thousand dollars. And for a lot of people, that that's a lot a lot of money, obviously. You know, so it's okay if if you know you got to start out wholesaling. Um, you know, got a side hustle, buying a, you know, a condo, buying a house, and, and, you know, you and your buddy are going to do most of the repair work, do whatever you got to do, do, do that. But there's a stage in the process where most people don't stay flippers for forever. Most people do flipping to build up enough capital, and then they want to do something else. The hours and the risks, you know, wear people out. So there's like a life, there's like a life cycle of investors. So when you're ready to come into commercial real estate and you think it's a good fit for you, call me up. And I, I'm very, very open. Per, you can see the personality. You tell me what you want. I ask you a couple of questions. I'll put you in touch with people I know. And I don't get any kickbacks. I, I only do it just because I enjoy it. I'm not, you know, I don't get a referral fee or anything. I'm not getting any financial compensation for it.
0: Yeah. Great. Great. I mean, that's a um, nice uh. I mean, very generous to uh, to offer that to people, just because because those connections and recommendations are are very important.
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, it's kind of a pay it forward aspect of. There's many people that have been incredibly generous and helpful to me, so it would just be highly disingenuous of me not to respect to be disrespectful to them and not show the same courtesy. Obviously, because I've been very fortunate, I've had really really wonderful people, much higher level take an interest in me and help me out so obviously you know i I need to pay it forward so one of the ways we do it is i have my own podcast called the cre spotlight and we just pick guests that we like you know for that podcast and a lot of it is like when i meet a younger syndicator they're you know they they're kind of trying to break their teeth into the business you know they're new and in particular if they're doing a unique concept we'll try to get them onto the show so like one gentleman was doing um short-term rentals, specifically in Yellowstone National Park. Very specific niche. I was like, hey, why don't you come on the show? We'll try to get you a little bit you know, more visibility. Uh, another young guy doing great things was doing co- co-working spaces, luxury co-working spaces in California. And it's a very unique concept. So I was like, you know what? Why don't we get you on the show and g- get you some visibility? A bunch of other people called me up and said, hey, I want to be on the show. And I was like, really, why? you know what they said? We want to help you. That's really how um, commercial real estate works. It's really about the network. Um, I, I cannot stress enough how important the network effect is within real estate. It is all about relationships. It, you know, the, the best deals, you're going to get from referrals. The best loan, you're going to get through a referral. The best broker, you're only gonna meet them through a referral. You're not gonna call them up out of the blue. They're not gonna probably return your call, phone call. Let's just be honest. Like the best brokers, you're only gonna meet them because of a referral. Or you, you know, you became their friend through an event or something. But it really, I cannot stress enough the relationships. So similarly, we started a Sunday meetup. There's a lot of Zoom meetups. We started our own. So it's um, the second Sunday of the month. So we have one coming up. We do it at one o'clock central. So we have a speaker come for a half hour, and they help educate the audience. And we do several hours of breakout rooms, depending on how long people want to stay. We'll do four or five people in a room, and people introduce themselves and say, "This is what I need help with," and people try to help them. We do that um, once a month. Christina Stevens and I; she's a really successful um, investor, and you know she's starting to become a a real estate uh, syndicator herself, doing many aspects. We started as a way to help people. And a lot of people that come to the call, they don't necessarily need help. They like it. They like helping people. They like talking to people. They like hearing, hey, what are you doing? You're, you're a capital raiser. What market are you looking at? Hey, have you met so-and-so? Hey, let me connect you. That's really how commercial real estate works. Um, it's great to be good at a spreadsheet. You know, It's great to be a data analyst and you know, you're knowing all the migration trends and everything. That's good but I, I just cannot stress enough how much of the business is relationships. And that's why, you know, going back to what's the most important aspect of a syndication, it's the team because the right team is going to have all these relationships. So they're getting the best deals. They're, they're working with the best broker. They're hiring the best property manager. It's all because of the relationships.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, interestingly, interestingly, generally the last question I ask people is what's the one piece of advice you would, you would give to someone uh, starting in real oh. estate. I feel like you just answered it. You, you already knew well, the question. You already had your uh, no, answer I mean, prepared.
1: <laughs> if, if anyone was following my, my LinkedIn, you know, account for any length of time, there's, there's one rant I'm always getting teased about by amongst my friends, you know, they, they tease me quite a lot about it is I'm always pounding this thing. It's like, it's great to watch, podcasts i i watch it everybody i know i mean even the most successful guys they're watching podcasts there's only so much podcasts they watch everyone's reading books i mean i'm talking about like the guys worth tens of millions of dollars they're still reading books every they're ferocious about uh, wanting it to, to learn but they don't read too much at some point you gotta act you know the, this idea of well, i'm waiting for the perfect time well you know, in the last two years, sure, you know, all of a sudden, real estate prices are coming down. So people are worried about a crash, people are worried about a recession. Oh, my God, what is Jerome Powell going to do? Well, that's all good. But your money sat in a bank account losing 8% CPI. You, you lost money the last two years sitting on cash. Yep. You know, myself, you know, we bought properties. Um, they've gone up, they're going back down, but they're up. We've collected rent all that time. I've got bonus depreciation on my syndication deals and I've got depreciation. So most of my investments, we're not paying any tax, Yeah. you know, oh, so go, go buy a, you know, go buy a, you know, a bond yielding 4% and go lose money in real terms, you know, more power to you. I'm laughing my you know, rear end off. You're worried about a crash and I'm making money. It sounds crass. I don't mean to, to be arrogant or rude about it, but, the people making money are the people in the game. Yeah. You now, even in the worst economies, there's deals. It's a highly inefficient market. There's always properties that come under distress. The owner died. Owner's getting divorced. The bank called them up and said, "Hey, you owe us money. Like, you're out. You know, you're, you're out. Like, well, we're taking out. We're taking the property back." I'm calling up Jason and saying, "Jason, you, we, you know, you." borrowed money from us on five other properties, you always pay us. Do you wanna take over this property? That's gonna be coming up in the next two years, in, in my view. A lot of the guys I talked to, they're very excited about distress coming, but it's it's not an excuse to go sit on the couch, to eat Cheetos, you know, or, you know, paralysis by analysis. I guess that's the you know expression everyone's heard. You know, everybody goes to that social party with, um, you know, Uncle Bill. You know, uncle bill drives a, a crappy car and he, he still lives in a townhouse but he he's the you know world's renowned expert on on every investment and he's always bought at the peak and he's you know he's us uh, you know hes sold at the peak and he you know bought at the at the the absolute lowest but I you know, oddly enough he's you know broke and, and hates his job and he's still working at W2 but he's always busting you telling you how you know he knew that this was the bad year to buy real estate you know everybody's got an uncle bill in their life or a co-worker God forbid a wife or a father-in-law like Uncle Bill. You, you gotta get rid of the, the bills in your life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that's all it's all great advice. Um uh, listen, I, this has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and it's not and a little sharing. over the
1: hours. Oh, it's Sorry.
0: fine. I don't, yeah, I don't I don't really have a <laughs> I don't have a hard stop unless there's something behind it. But no, I, I'm happy uh that we got to go through this. I think there's a lot of really um just actionable things for people, particularly from a from a passive investor standpoint. You know, things to look for and all of that. So, um, thank you for coming on and 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 sharing uh, sharing all of your wisdom. Appreciate it very much.
1: Oh, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's quite an honor. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, folks. When you're listening, uh, I'm sure you're gonna love this episode. But please like, rate, and review so that we can get more listeners and uh, or more reach If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.